So Mike is awesome. He's a great leader, a great husband, a great father, and he is a great brother of mine. So let's introduce Mike Crowley. Thanks, Paul. Hey, uh, I, I was a little bit concerned when Jack spent all day Friday and then I with Phil and Paul, and they drove up to Chicago and back, and I wasn't sure what, what Paul was going to say uh, about me if, if Jack revealed anything uh, embarrassing, but he didn't. I, I, and I know Paul's right. Jack does not talk too much out in public. So, All right, well, welcome. We are in this series on heroes. But um, have you ever had one of those experiences? You, you're thinking, you're talking, and all of a sudden this, this light comes on, and you're so excited, and you got to tell somebody. And then you do it, and it's not exciting. <laughs> well, I hope this isn't one of those. So uh, why don't we pray again? We've had a lot of prayer, but just I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak through me, and I open your hearts, speak to the to the people here that hear this message, that your word comes through. Father, I just trust in this. I uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, so we're in a series on heroes. Um, do we have any heroes here today? Yeah? Okay, I didn't think anybody would say yes. I really didn't. How about ordinary Joes, just the ordinary guys? Any, any of those? Okay. Well, over the next 30 minutes, I'm going to try to mesh those two together, and hopefully you'll come away with a little bit new, a different perspective on this hero versus ordinary Joe kind of concept. Now, what is the definition of a hero? It's this one I found. It's a person admired or idolized for courage, outstanding achievement, or noble qualities. Now, it's easy to find, or we tend to look at people with courage and outstanding achievements as heroes, but maybe not so much the noble qualities. In fact, many of our childhood heroes have less than noble qualities and more of the supernatural qualities, the, like the powers, the powerful muscles, like Hulk, the uh, supernatural hammer, like Thor. How about um, superhuman gymnastic abilities or the ability to shoot webs like a spider? Or even, and he's kind of my my favorite, but the possession of and skills with a shield that are out of this world. So our heroes, uh, at least the ones that we that get the most publicity, they don't always exemplify these noble qualities. You know, some do in the fact that they protect against evil, they defend the public against this evil, but I think there's a lot more to this hero thing than we generally see. So when we look at the Bible, what supernatural things or, or qualities do we see in people? We find some pretty significant feats were accomplished, and they were indeed extraordinary or supernatural. There was Moses, and he turned this staff into a snake and back again. Now, that was obviously God. You, you read that story, and you talk about it, and you say that was God showing that he's God, that that's powerful. Well, then we've talked a lot about David, but the young David, when he goes to fight Goliath, this giant of a man with a stone, a slingshot and a stone, you, you may say, well, he was trained for that. He was a shepherd, and he protected his sheep, and he knew how to defend against these, these other enemies. Well, that's true, but who set that up? Well, God did, and you've got to look through that and see, you know, God knew 
that he could do this supernatural feat, this little bitty boy, this young boy, young, inexperienced in fighting, to take out this monster of a man who had all of his equipment, who was trained in battle. That's his life was battle, and he took him out. God was in that. And then there's Shamgar, and I don't know if you remember me talking about Shamgar, but he had an ox goad. That was his tool, his implement that he used in farming with his, his animals and cattle. And he took out 600 Philistines on his own. And I'm here to tell you, he wasn't just a strong man that stood up and got mad one day. He, God was in that. He set up those details. He prepared the circumstances, and he had Shamgar ready for that. There's a lot more examples, and I had to cut it off there. But so in looking at heroes and identifying these traits, what, what they do and how they act and what happens with them, and then we just came off of this series, The Names of God. And I almost like to call it the attributes of God because then that gets me thinking about who God is and, and my perspective with him. But I couldn't help but think that we're really looking, what we're really looking at in these heroes is an attribute of God that's exemplified through this hero. It could be power, it could be intelligence, it could be compassion or justice or service. I think you get the idea. These are attributes of God. Now, let me ask you some questions. Was it odd for God to have Moses use his staff to change that snake to, to change the staff to a snake and then back to a staff again in order to prove the power of God? Was that an odd thing to happen? How about was it odd for God to use David, to have David use the slingshot? There, this isn't out of the ordinary as far as day-to-day -day stuff goes, or Shamgar to use his ox code. I hope you're getting to see this point. God works through what we have and where we are. He's the one that makes it that's capital I-T, miraculous. So whatever it is in your life, wherever you are, whatever you have at your, at your disposal is what God will use if you trust in him. So several weeks ago, Chris kicked this, this series off talking about Gideon. And it was in Judges 7, and I hope you all took the time to go back and reread it because it's really a phenomenal story about how this relationship with God can work out in, in fighting, but also in life. And I, I'm not going to reread it. I'm going to just paraphrase it for you. So you see, the Mid Midnights, Midianites had been a true burden to the people of Israel, and they were preparing to fight. So we pick up the story in Judges 7-2, and Gideon started with 32,000 soldiers. But God said, you know what? The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim the glory for itself. So the Lord whittled this army of 32,000 down to 300, 300 committed men who were willing to shatter jars, hold torches, and cry out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now, I didn't say they went out and fought. I said they were willing to go out with swords and torches, jars, I'm sorry, jars and torches, and, and praise God to cry out proclaiming God. These men were committed to God and to Gideon. So this is a great example of a hero acting with God's help or on God's direction. 
But it wasn't even what we would call heroic action in, of fighting. I mean, you think they're at war. They're going to go out and protect themselves, defend themselves. They didn't have to fight. God had already told them, I've done this. I've got it covered. You've won. All you have to do is go do it. Follow through. Do what I say. So they were successful because they obeyed God. How many more examples do you want me to give you? <laughs> All right. Uh, last year, just before Easter, I did a, me a message on Joseph of Arimathea. I like to pick these guys that nobody else like, knows about. So Jesus is preparing to be crucified. He's giving himself up to be crucified. And Joseph is one of the guys. He's kind of on the team that's crucifying him, really. But he understands. He's got this relationship with God. And uh, I won't read through it all. But he gave his own personal tomb to have Jesus buried in after he was crucified. The, the, the ball was rolling. It was going to happen. And he realizes this. And he takes the time to stand up and, and honor Jesus and honor God by giving him an, an honorable burial. And it also fulfilled what was stated in Isaiah 53, that he would be assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So he took a stand that would cost him his reputation at, at a minimum. And this stand was based on knowing Jesus. And it wasn't because he knew how this was going to work out. He, he didn't know how it was going to play out. He just simply trusted. That Joseph took what he had, he trusted God, and he acted. So I want to talk to you about another Joseph, the guy that was Jesus' father or stepfather, if you will. And from the outset, I want to develop this idea of that heroic qualities, what we look at in heroes, what we admire, are the ones they're of God, and they're meant to bring glory to God. So I want you to always see that. There is a purpose for this gift or this attribute or this power that you have, and it's to bring glory to God. Through this line of thinking, I want you to understand there is no room for shrinking back from integrity, from faith, and obedience. And those are going to come out a lot in my message today. We're actually we're called to trust and obey, and he's prepared, get this, he's prepared to offer you grace to give you forgiveness, and to work miraculous things, items, circumstances in your life. So let's talk about Joseph. I call him the hero at home. His name means Jehovah increases or Jehovah adds. And I think if you look back at his life, you understand how he did add to Jesus' life and how he did add to this history that God has set up for us. I want to begin in Matthew uh, Matthew 1, I, I actually have the passage from uh, Matthew 18, but if you look at Matthew 1 through uh, 16, it gives a genealogy, and it builds this evidence, this case that Jesus is in the line of David, uh, but also all the way back to Abraham. And so there can be discussion over whether Joseph was actually in there, but in verse 16, it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So he, he was the father, even though the Holy Spirit was the one that, that instigated the con conception. I'll talk about that here in a minute. So if we go to verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, 
to Joseph, there were, there, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and, she, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by his prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given him birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. There is so much in this passage, and I had to read it all because it feels like Christmas again when I read it. But as we go back through it, there are some highlights and bolds I want to I try to highlight for you. In verse 19, first of all, Joseph was a just man. I want to take you through this thinking process. He's getting ready to be married. Joseph is going to marry Mary. They're betrothed, and in those days, betrothed meant engaged, but even to the contractual equivalent, what we have is married. So he was married for all intents and purposes to marry. But they hadn't lived together. They hadn't come together, and she's starting to show. So what do we do? Well, Joseph is a just man, and that's what I want to point out. He's not looking for revenge. He's not filled with hatred. He knows this is a predicament. And so he's considering this. What do I do? Legally, he could divorce her. Um, it could go a lot further. He could have had her executed. He could have had her stoned. But he's willing. So he, he's a just man. Um, what does it mean to be just? It means honorable in your dealings. Everything that you do, you're honorable in. That becomes who you look like. And so if you notice, he's just, that's his description of who he is. He's guided by a truth, something bigger than him. He understands the word or his relationship with God. I like to use this word magnanimity, and I'll bet you that I'll use it in every message I give <clears throat> because my wife said it's sexy. And, uh, <laughs> but no, not, that's not really the reason, but that did help. Um, magnanimity is thinking of something higher than yourself. And when you understand your relationship with God, I, I know I've said it a bunch of times, I'm going to keep saying it. When you understand him and the authority where he set you up to be, to be successful, you'll be this way. So you understand and you know God, which leads into our verse 20. This angel of the Lord came to him in a dream. And I don't know if any of you have had the Lord speak to you in a dream. I know some of you have had him speak either audibly or clearly in other ways, but Joseph was ready to hear, and that's the key point here. He was willing and listening, and he heard the voice. So how do we do that? We have to be first looking for God to speak to us. We have to be um, aware or in tune with God. I like that that connotation that we're in tune with him. We're starting to think his thoughts after him. It, it takes some quiet time. It takes some seclusion and definitely prayer. 
but spending time in his word and this whole attitude of, of being aware and ready to hear from God. That's what we're talking about here in verse 20. So the angel of the Lord came to him, appeared to him, and said, hey, don't worry about this. I know it's confusing, but just trust me. You can take Mary as your wife, and it's going to work out. And did it. Uh, we go down to verse 24. And we will say this as a church leadership group over and over and over again because it it's the crux of everything. We have to obey. So Joseph heard the angel. He was given the information. He was given a confirmation that this is of God, so go. And he did. He gets up, and there's this follow-through or this grit. There's this independence that we have to have to do that. And I think as you look at our leadership team or the people that have come up and our leaders, there is that. They don't give up. They don't just take what everybody else says or what the group think is. They tr test this against what God's word says. So I'm going to say that for Joseph, this was all about Jesus. And it ends up being all about Jesus for all of us. But at the time, we don't see it. Okay, uh, one note, I kind of hit on it. Before Jesus was born, Joseph was just. I want you to get that. So we're prepared. We're doing things in line before God uses us. But I don't want you to cop out and say, hey, I'm not good enough. I can't do what he's called me to do. Because it's a step-by-step -step process, and it's a continual circle that you get better when you step out for him. Okay, so following the birth of Jesus, I know I just blew through that. All of a sudden, she's pregnant, and now she, he's born. Um, they're in Bethlehem for the census. Herod had, had commanded that they all go back to the census, take a census. His life didn't just get all normal and, and fade away. It took a bunch of big turns. So there isn't a lot of detail about Joseph, but there are some things mentioned that give us what I think is an indication of that he was a hero at home. If we jump over to Luke 2, and I don't have that one for you on the screen, I don't think, um, at the end of the eight days, I just want to highlight this, Joseph had Jesus circumcised. And he named him Jesus at that time, the name that the angel gave him. This is where, when I say Joseph was his stepfather, that's a biological term, really, because we all know that the guy that fills that spot, that, that takes the time, is really the father. And uh, sorry about this. I thought I had my the water bottle ready. The, uh, the guy that takes the time that fills the spot, he's the, the actual father. And in doing this ceremony, observing this law of Moses, this circumcision uh, of the church, J Joseph is claiming Jesus as his own son. And when he names him, it's settled. It's done. Just like we sang a while ago. When God says it's done, it's done. So Jesus is Joseph's son. I just want to mention that. I want to get that out there. Joseph believed so much and trusted in God that he observed these laws. And I don't think that he was doing them because everybody else did them or for glory or for credit. I think he, se he seems to be very uh, faithful and obedient to God in this. Okay, jump back to Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 2. 
So we're moving right along, and after Jesus is born, they're in Bethlehem for a while, but after the wise men leave, and I hope you're all familiar with that because I would hate to leave anybody out, but they leave, and it says in verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph again in a dream, and he said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, divine guidance comes to those that are prepared to hear. I said that earlier. Those with hearts open and receptive. Think about those of you that are preparing to have children, your lives are changing daily, weekly. And after the baby, I mean, you're still living in Bethlehem. This isn't really your home. Think about Joseph and Mary there. He's still receptive to God. He's still open to hearing from God. He's still in tune with him. So Joseph remained receptive to God's guidance, but not just receptive. He obeyed it. So sometime in here is when Herod did send his army, and he killed all the children in Bethlehem in that area two years and under. So Joseph and Mary had left. They were down in Egypt. And we find through history that um, Herod actually passed away about 4 BC. So sometimes our, the calendar is off from what we think about the way, the way it should be. Um, but the danger was gone sort of from Herod. He wasn't out to get Jesus anymore. But he divided his kingdom into three parts, and he split it between three of his sons. So Archelaus was in that area where Bethlehem was. It's in kind of a southern part downward by Jerusalem. And then uh, Herod Antipas had Galilee, which is north of uh, this the southern part uh, of Judea. And that's where... Uh, Nazareth actually is. And then there was a third son that got over to the east. So there seems to be a couple of years here between verse 18 and 19. So when Herod kills all the babies and then uh, G- Joseph gets this message to come back to uh, to Israel, back into the land. Uh, and I'll read that to you here. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise to take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, so one of the sons of Herod, was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And then he also got confirmation of this. He was warned in a dream and he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And when he, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Um, I know it sounds repetitive, but here I want to note that there are cultures today even that there are mass dreams that, God is speaking to people. And that's happening in the Muslim world right now. But there are other circumstances. You don't have to just be over there. It could be our families, our daily circumstances. They can all lend themselves to different ways of hearing God's voice. 
we need to be prepared to hear from him daily. So Joseph continues to hear from him. And they're growing, and he's living in Nazareth. And uh, in Luke 2, under the same section as in Matthew 2, we, under this return of Nazareth, I just wanted to highlight that it says, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and favor, and the favor of God was on him. The reason I highlight that is because I'm talking about Joseph, and I'm talking about his role in Jesus' life. The Gospels are about Jesus, but we have, we get to, we get the opportunity. Uh, I think Heather said it this morning when we were praying. He doesn't have to do any of this. He includes us because he wants to. He loves us. I want you to get that. Uh, our lives are changed because he loves us so much. So don't dismiss the day-to-day -day role that you have as a key part in raising your children. I don't want you to settle for just surviving this life. Don't look to what everybody else is doing. You know, listen, ask questions, and don't think that somebody, just because they're called an expert, knows what's best for you. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we need to look to God, measure everything against him, listen to him, obey him, and have a goal of thriving. I'm asking you to have this goal. There is so much more. We hold ourselves back when we don't trust God. Okay, so let's review just a bit. We go from Joseph and Mary and Jesus living in Bethlehem. They go to Egypt for a few years. They're there for a couple years. And then they move back to this area of Galilee, north of Jerusalem, in the city of Nazareth. And so when we catch up with them and we're thinking about, well, reading about them, the history they're just living. Okay, Joseph's a carpenter. He's teaching Jesus to be a carpenter. They've got their regular livelihood. We know that he uh, worships regularly. He goes and he recognizes all the, uh, the feasts, the festivals. And so we go back to Luke 2 and verse 41. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And, and this is a passage, I won't read it all, but when Jesus is about 12 years old. So we kind of fast forward there, and they're just living, doing life, part of the community. But they're recognizing these festivals, and they're worshiping, they're praising God, they're offering sacrifices. And in the course of things, as we do, our, uh, sometimes we let our boys go off and do manly things or go and, and be with others. So if you can imagine a caravan of people headed back after the feast of the Passover, and uh, Mary thinks that Jesus is with Joseph, and Joseph thinks that Jesus is with Mary in the caravan. Well, after three days, they realize he isn't with them. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they find him at the temple. And everybody's like, oh, yes, we expected him to be there. But do you really? You know, when you raise your sons, do you expect them to be in church? Maybe we should. Maybe if we raise them that way, they will be. And uh, maybe there's a big surprise here that shouldn't be such a big surprise here. So Jesus, in 52, it says, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So this is the last that we hear about Joseph. In fact, the Gospels jump forward about 18 more years to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And you're like, what? Now what do I do with this message I'm doing on Joseph here? There's no more. It seems crazy, especially if you're talking about Joseph. I want you to consider this important foundation. 
maybe we, you know, really don't need to hear much more about Joseph because this story is about Jesus. But that foundational period, that childhood, that adolescence, hey, that's for you dads. That's for you moms. It's important. It's significant. And when you do it with, with God, it has to be with God. So you know that saying, he's just a regular Joe? Maybe there's more to it than that, than what we usually think. Okay, there doesn't seem to be much supernatural about going to work, about teaching, about reading or traveling with your kids until you bring God into it. So through openness to God's leading, maintaining integrity and obedience, God turned these ordinary daily activities into a path for the Savior of the world. You know, I had to think, I didn't see that coming. You know, we don't see what God's doing all the time. So I will summarize for you. It's a model for our families. Take this model and apply it to your own family. Do the right thing. Be prepared. Joseph had a job. He was a carpenter. He honored God, and we noted that because of the way he treated Mary. He respected her even though it kind of looked like she might have been deceptive or something. He, he responded, respected those relationships. And then he taught Jesus a trade. He was a good father. He taught Jesus the word, and he took him to the church, to the temple. That's the first point. The second one, be willing, available, and open to the voice of God. Joseph listened he listened through the dreams. He listened to the word. He listened to the prophets. He knew what these prophecies were. And I'm like, how do I fit into these prophecies? Well, guess what? We are actually in the prophecies in the Bible. In some degree, we are part of it. I hope you're praying for revival. That's a part of it. People that put God in your life, they are there to help you hear God's voice too. Measure it with what God says, but there are people in your life that are there because God set them there. And finally, do what God instructs. Obey. Joseph did this. He acted on the Lord's direction. He took Mary as his wife in spite of a miraculous conception. Never happened before. What do I do with this? You know, he, he could have divorced her, but he didn't. And then he has to ask, why am I involved? I'm just this ordinary guy. I'm a carpenter. I'm low on this, this whole spectrum of people and, and work. He moved his family from Egypt uh, to Egypt and then from Egypt back to Galilee and Nazareth. Listen to me. Your life is this dash between two dates, the date you're born and the date you die. And what you do with that, how you trust it, how you live it out, that's that's what we're talking about here, this daily just living. You know, where do you look for your direction, your inspiration, your motivation? What moves you to make a decision? He lived it out by being honorable in his dealings, open to God's direction, and then obedient. And I'm not saying he was perfect. I, I'm sure he was not perfect. I'm saying he had the right perspective of God, and he was humble. Be humble. Now it's up to us, up to you and to me, to do all this also because there's going to be times that we have to prove who we are. You do the right thing, and he'll do the big thing. God will make it supernatural. You do the ordinary thing, and he will add the extra to make it extraordinary. Let me put it another way for you. The victory's already been won. It's done. 
The victory was won when Jesus paid the price for our sins. And listen to me, if you have committed your life to Christ, it's time to claim that victory and live it like you know it's complete. So I'm going to ask you again, do we have any heroes in the house? We do. We do. I know we do. We have regular Joes claiming that this victory in Jesus, and, and we're prepared to live out this day-to-day, every day for God. Are you doing the ordinary with the expectant that God will make it extraordinary? I want to challenge you, each one of you. I'm not just talking about dads, but I'm saying dads, be honorable. I'm saying moms, be honorable. Each one be open to God's voice and seek him through the word and be ready to hear his voice. And finally, obey him. Like Joseph and so many others, you may not understand how it's all going to work out, but God does. And I want to encourage you where you are. I'm, I'm talking as if you know Christ, but if you don't know Christ, we have a whole team of leaders that are ready to walk you through that, to, to help you come and invite Jesus into your life. And if you do know Christ, but you're still confused over this day to day, we're a walking book of experience. We have lives that we've lived and we're ready to help. And I trust me, God's put us here to answer those questions for your day to day. So ask us. I want you to pray with me now. Father, you are a good, good father. Help us to live like we know you love us. Help us to be heroes at home, heroes where we work, heroes when we're out. And we ask you to refresh us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to lean on you daily so that we breathe it in and we breathe it back out. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.